Good afternoon. Welcome to this gathering of Covenant Hope Church. My name is Michael, and I serve as one of the pastors of the church. It's great to see you all this afternoon. My wife Hannah and I just returned from the United States. We were gone for about a month and got to see some family, got to introduce our new son, Shepherd, to both of our parents. And um, we also got to visit one of our favorite cities, Fayetteville, Arkansas. Most of you have probably never heard of that city. That's okay. It's a small city, 85,000 people. It's the city that Hannah and I lived in before we moved to Dubai. The city where we got married. The city where Hannah went to university. And uh, we even got to bring Holden and Shepard to the little inn where we got married. They didn't really know what was going on, but it was a sweet moment for us. There's many reasons we love that city in particular. Um, some of them, it's nestled in the hills of Arkansas. As you drive up from Texas, which is in the south, the last 30 minutes of that drive, it's just hills everywhere, green hills as far as you can see. And then all of a sudden you come up over one of the hills and you see the city of Fayetteville. It's beautiful. Uh, we love how you can walk the whole downtown. You don't really need a car downtown. You can just walk everywhere. We love the coffee shops. Onyx Coffee, if you ever have a chance to go. Hannah loves the tea shops. We love Little Bread Co., our favorite little breakfast place that seats about 10 people. We love running the trails that wind through the city and in the forest and then back to the city. But the thing we love most of all about that city, it's not the coffee shops or the restaurants or the green trees. It's our old church, University Baptist Church. We love those people. We love visiting them each year and updating them about the work that God's doing here in the Middle East. And I even share that knowing that many of you probably are longing to go to a city, maybe longing to get on a flight to see family and friends that it's maybe been years since you've seen them. Today, as we hear God's word, we'll see that King David loved his city, and yet he also was longing for a city. If you have your Bibles, please open to Psalm 122. We continue in the Psalms this afternoon. If you're not familiar with the Bible, the Psalms was the songbook of the Israelites in the Old Testament. It's a book of poetry. If you're following along in your bulletin, it's on page eight. You can turn there. If you go ahead and look there, you'll see a little superscript. It says, a song of ascents. Now, this refers to the pilgrimage the Israelites took to the city of Jerusalem. Three times a year, it was mandated that they would go for feasts. The Psalms of Ascent were likely sung by worshipers on the road. Some people have actually called them pilgrim songs. So picture the Israelites singing these songs as they left their villages, gathered their families, and hit the road. No cars, no planes, just your feet walking up that mountain up to the city of Jerusalem. Every year, three times a year, 
12 different tribes, one direction. And if you look again at that little superscript, it says of David, we see the author, David, King David. He was the king of Israel. He also apparently wrote poetry. Listen along as I read Psalm 122. I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Our feet have been standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. Jerusalem, built as a city that is bound firmly together, to which the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, as was decreed for Israel, to give thanks to the name of the Lord. There, thrones for judgment were set, the thrones of the house of David. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they be secure who love you. Peace be within your walls and security within your towers. For my brothers and companions sake, I will say peace be within you for the sake of the house of the Lord, our God, I will seek your good. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, we pray, would you open our eyes that we may behold wondrous things out of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Christians, we are on a journey. We're on a journey to the heavenly city of Jerusalem. And God means to use this psalm, Psalm 122, to help us get there safely. Listen to the main point of this psalm. As we journey to heaven, gladly gather with the church and pray for peace in the church. As we journey to heaven, gladly gather with the church, pray for peace in the church. We're going to work through this psalm in three parts. First, this was, as I said earlier, Israel's songbook. So we need to consider what it meant for them. Second, Jesus on the road to Emmaus, Luke 24, he actually tells the disciples that the law, the prophets, the Psalms are all about him. So this is Jesus's songbook. We need to see how this John, this song is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And third, finally, through Jesus, this is the church's songbook. So what does it mean? For us today, but first, Israel's songbook. Look at verse one. David actually tells us how he felt. How did he feel? David was glad. He was joyful. A fellow Israelite had said to him, Look at verse one, it says, Let us go to the house of the Lord. If you look at the beginning and the end of this psalm, so verse 1, verse 9, you'll see the house of the Lord, it's repeated. It's a key phrase. We need to understand this as we understand this psalm. In the Old Testament, the house of the Lord was first a garden. A garden. It was the Garden of Eden, where God dwelled with Adam and Eve. And then it was a tabernacle, which was kind of like a tent that they carried together with them and set it up as they traveled. Then King David's son Solomon would later build an actual building, a temple in Jerusalem. It was the place where God 
dwell with his people. In verse 2, we see this house was in Jerusalem. It was in Jerusalem. And then in verses 3 through 5, the next stanza, David describes this wonderful city of God. In a way, he's telling us why he's so glad to be standing in that city. He loved the city. He longed to be within its gates. And look at how David describes Jerusalem. Look at verse 3. It's a city that's firmly bound together. Not just bound together by walls or a border. Surely it was those things. It was a city that was bound together by God himself. Look at verse 4. The tribes go up. The tribes of the Lord. Now, if you know your Old Testament history, you know probably that the tribes did not often get along. But here they are together three times a year, worshiping the one true God. Not so much the tribes of Benjamin or Simeon. These are, look at verse 4, the tribes of the Lord. And what do they do in Jerusalem? Verse 4 tells us they give thanks to the Lord. Meaning, as you know, they went to worship God. They did this in obedience. Verse 4 tells us it was decreed. They were told to do this. When they went to worship, they feasted. They also offered sacrifices. Most importantly, though, they remembered. They remembered God's saving acts like the Exodus. They rehearsed God's saving acts like the Passover. Verse 5 also tells us they went to sit under God's authority, the thrones of the house of David. That's where God administered justice for his people. The king, like King David, ruled under God's authority in accordance to God's word. And the Lord exercised his rule over the whole earth, all the earth through the house of David in Jerusalem. Jerusalem was a key city, the key city for peace on the whole earth. So it makes sense in the last four verses, verses six through nine, that David urges the Israelites to pray for peace. Look at those repeated words. In verses 6 through 9, he says, pray for peace. May they be secure who love you. Peace be within your walls. Security within your towers. For my brothers and companions' sake, I will say, peace be within you. Now, you probably know, but Israel was surrounded by their enemies, so they depended on peace so they could commune with the Lord. This is why David was so glad to go to the temple in Jerusalem. It's because he was glad to worship God, glad to be with the people of God. And that's why they needed peace. That's really what this psalm meant for Israel. And before we consider this as Jesus' songbook, we have to know what happened to Jerusalem, what happened to the house of the Lord. Israel was called to worship the Lord exclusively, to live under God's law, but they were actually worse than the nations, even sacrificing their own children at the altars of idols. 
So Israel forfeited the peace and security that was promised to them by God. The kingdom split in two. The temple was destroyed and the people were exiled, kicked out of the very land they were promised. So the Old Testament ends with a promise. It's a promise that God would, in fact, restore the temple and bring the people home. But there's 400 years of silence between the Old Testament and the New Testament. And all these promises came to be fulfilled in a completely unexpected way. They came to be fulfilled in Jesus. This psalm, as we said earlier, it's Jesus's songbook. And as we read over this psalm one more time, thinking about Jesus, we see, first of all, that the house of the Lord, it's been replaced. That means you don't need to go to a tabernacle to worship God. You don't need to go to the temple and make sacrifices. All of these images in the Old Testament, they were just types, shadows pointing beyond themselves. The Gospel of John, John chapter 1, he tells us explicitly, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. God came down to us in Jesus Christ. Jesus is the house of the Lord. Jesus is the temple. Even Jesus was the sacrifice, the once for all sacrifice for sins. He's the place where God dwells with his people. And actually, if you're a Christian, we are called the temple of God. That's what the Apostle Paul says. He says, we're the temple of the living God, 2 Corinthians 6. God dwells within us by the Holy Spirit. Now, this building, there might be some confusion. Uh, this building, the deck building, it's a great building. We're, we're glad to be here. We're thankful for this building, but it's actually not the house of the Lord. It's nothing special, really. But this gathering, I mean, look around, the people in this room, we are the house of the Lord. We're living stones, Peter said, being built up as a spiritual house. So as we think about Jesus fulfilling this psalm, we must know that the house of the Lord is not in Jerusalem any longer, but through Jesus Christ, it's here, in this room, in our midst, and all across the world, wherever the Gospels preach and the ordinances of baptism and the Lord's Supper are practiced. That's important. But the second important thing as we look at Jesus in this psalm is that Jerusalem, the city of God, is completely redefined in Jesus Christ. Now, if we were an Israelite pilgrim singing this psalm, we would actually be on the way, on the road up to Jerusalem, to the tabernacle or the temple. But when Jesus came, he replaced Jerusalem as the center of God's presence on earth. If you remember in the Gospels, Jesus actually went to Jerusalem. He went there. They rejected him. They killed him. Jesus even lamented over the city. He said, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. 
He came to save them. They chose to kill him. And while they crucified him, he actually prayed for their forgiveness. This happened on the cross. Jesus died in our place for our sins, for our forgiveness. And Jesus actually told people, if you destroy this temple, and he was referring to his body, he said, in three days I will raise it up. He rose from the grave. And in doing so, he purchased our membership into an everlasting city. This is incredible. Maybe you've always wanted to go to Israel. And I know, I think in just the last year, flights actually opened up from the UAE to Israel. You can get on a direct flight and get there tomorrow, maybe. I haven't checked the flights, but you can check. That's great. I mean, go take the trip. It'd be fun. But let me tell you, you actually have something that David and the Israelites only longed for because in Jesus... You have come to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. That's what Hebrews 12 tells us. Now, if you're not a Christian, we are so glad that you've come to gather with us this afternoon. And I don't know what city or land you're longing for. Maybe you're trying to make it to the United States or Canada or Europe. Maybe you worked so hard to come to this city, to come to Dubai. You probably already know this, but these cities, these earthly cities, they cannot give us what they promise. Not New York City, not London, not Toronto, not Dubai, not Mumbai, not Manila, not Fayetteville, Arkansas. You know this is true. We long for a city where God is at its center. This is what you were made for. You were made to worship God and enjoy him in heaven and on earth. So friend, if you're longing for an earthly city, you will only always be left unsatisfied, looking for another place to go. But if you turn to Christ, you can receive an inheritance, membership, into a city that is everlasting. God will dwell with you. And if you're a Christian, this means we need to rethink how Jerusalem is for God's people post-resurrection. Remember what happened in the book of Acts. In the book of Acts, God's people before it, they went, they traveled to Jerusalem. After the book, though, after Jesus' resurrection, what did the disciples do? What were they told to do? They were told to leave Jerusalem and go all to the ends of the earth for the proclamation of the gospel. The New Testament offers us then a new holy land. It's the people of God. It's us, indwelt by the Spirit of God. And the last thing we notice as we read this psalm, thinking of Jesus, is that David's prayers for peace were actually all answered in Jesus Christ. David was a king, so he sought to bring peace and security to his nation, but it was always only for a season. So the Israelites, 
The people of God longed for someone who would come and bring everlasting peace, final rest. You know, that's Jesus. He's the one who brings us security and peace. Isaiah called him the Prince of Peace. Colossians tells us he made peace by the blood of the cross. Without Jesus, we can actually only read this song with longing in our hearts for what could be true someday. But through Jesus, these truths of Psalm 122 are our reality. We live them. And so let's look back over this one last time as the church's songbook. This is our song. Maybe you're one of those Christians who grew up in church. Maybe you were dragged to church by your parents. My family, growing up, we went to church three times a week, twice on Sundays, once on Wednesdays, and probably if the church was open another way, we would have gone that day too. But let me tell you, we were often running late. There were three little kids. There was a lot of fighting on the way to the church. There was not much gladness. If you look at verse one, David says, I was glad when they said to me, I'm not sure, how would you finish that sentence? You were glad when they said to me, what? Let's go to the movies? I don't know. Let's travel the world? Let's go to a party? Let's hang out with friends? You were glad when they said to you, let's go be a family? Uh, for my two-year-old daughter, it'd be let's go to the park? That girl loves the park. What makes you joyful? What makes you excited? Let me ask you, on your drive or your taxi ride or on the bus to church today, what was your attitude? What was your posture as you gathered with the saints this afternoon? Because as we sing this song, we're reminded by David that our affections should be gladness for God. But maybe your affections aren't. And that's just the reality of today. Maybe you're apathetic or dull towards gathering. What if you don't really desire to go to church? I want you to think about how the gospel changes our affections. You were once completely blind to see the beauty and the glory of Jesus Christ. You were completely enslaved to the lures of sin. And then one day, in a moment, you saw, you saw the truth. God is real. Jesus is alive. Forgiveness of sins is yours. You ran from your sin and into the arms of the Father. You were dead. Now you're alive. You were a slave. Now you're free. How does this change your affections? It's a privilege to worship God. You get to worship God with his people. If you're apathetic, maybe you're tired of going to church, you need to remind yourself once again of the good news of the gospel and all that God's done for you in Jesus Christ. And the gospel actually transforms also our view of one another, the people in this very room, our affections. 
They're so often given to trivial things. I mean, think about the things we care about. New phones, new cars, new clothes, new places. What if we truly saw the beauty of gathering with the church of the living God? The gospel humbles us. It it helps us realize truths like the fact that each of us in this room who are professing Christian, we want to look more like Jesus, every one of us. And the gospel reminds us, actually, that we each need to look more like Jesus, even that we will look more like Jesus. And the primary means, the way that God does this in our lives is through the local church. So parents, let me encourage you. One of the ways that you love your children the best is by gladly coming to church and worshiping God. Your kids, they know what you're excited about. They know what you're passionate about. They'll see it. Are you glad about coming to church? And listen, we don't have childcare right now. I'm actually surprised the room is as quiet as it is in this moment. It's difficult, I know, but I'm so encouraged by so many of our young families who are skipping naps, bringing lots of snacks, and coming to gather with God's people. That sends a message not only to your own kids, but to the church and to the watching world about what's most important for your family. Look back at verse 1 with me. Notice David is actually responding to somebody. There's a mutual encouragement together. Someone's telling him, hey, let's go to the house of the Lord. So maybe you've noticed that a friend hasn't been to church in a while. What should you do? How do you respond? Whenever a friend of mine is looking for a new church, maybe they move to a new city, And they ask, hey, any any advice as I think about church? I always encourage them. Of course, it needs to preach the gospel. That is the most important thing. I also tell them, find a church that will call you if you've not shown up for a couple weeks. Now, that's not a thing I tell them, you know, like, you know, people checking up on you and like you were on vacation, so they called you and where were you? That's not really what I'm talking about. I'm talking more of a posture of a church that actually cares about you as a person and wants to see you follow Jesus. Now, sadly, that's actually not the norm in most churches, but we want it to be the norm at this church. If you've not seen a Christian, a member of the church, go, go talk to them. Tell them, friend, Let's go to church together. Tell your neighbors. Let's go to church. Tell your family members who are professing Christians who have not come to church in a long time. Tell them, come to church with me. We need each other. We need to encourage each other. You see, we're on a journey, Christian, to a heavenly Jerusalem. And there are many, many trials and temptations, tribulations along the way. And then there's the father of lies, Satan, who's tricking many Christians today and telling them that they can follow Jesus without belonging to a church. You and I probably know many Christians 
professing Christians who believe this. So if you look at that scripture reading, turn to your bulletin to page 6, our scripture reading from Hebrews 10. These few verses become so important for us. The author writes, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. What's the author telling us? He's telling us that if you neglect to gather with the church, you will eventually depart from the faith. Forsaking God's people in the end leads to forsaking God himself. And the day is drawing near, that day, when Jesus Christ will return. So we must not waver. Oh, church, let's stir up one another. Let's not neglect one another. Let's encourage one another. Maybe you're here, you're a professing Christian, but you're not a member of a church. Oh, friend, I wonder what you would think about this psalm. You don't need to belong to our church. We would love for you to become a member of our church. We would love that. Every Christian needs to be a member of a church. But not every Christian needs to be a member of our church. There's lots of good churches. There's multiple good churches that meet in this very building. UCCD, they meet earlier on Fridays. Redeemer, uh, that's a church in Dira. If you're closer to that area, gather with them. If you live in Sharjah, Grace Church, Sharjah, you can gather with that church. But you need to be a member of a church. You need to commit to Christians to spur them on. And they need you also. Let me encourage you, if you know somebody who's not been gathering with the church, will you be the one to tell them, let's go to the house of the Lord? As we keep singing this song in verses 3 through 5, we see a spiritual unity that marks our gathering. Notice they're, they're going to the house of the Lord not really to see one another. That's a byproduct of what's happening. They're going to worship God. Twelve tribes. Now for Israel, that was um, an ethnically and politically defined people. For the church, it's made up of every tribe, every language, every people, every nation. Not bound together by passports not bound together by our favorite sports teams or the food we like. We're bound together in Jesus Christ. In him, Paul says, all things hold together. So we must protect this unity. Friends, there's so many opportunities for division in the church. Maybe you have a different opinion about vaccinations or social distancing or which songs to sing. Don't let these things divide our church. We're here to worship God. That's what our focus needs to be on. He's the reason for all of our existence. We sit under his authority. We all sit under his word. So let me ask you, do you work for the unity 
of Covenant Hope Church? Or do you fight for your own preferences? Lastly, let's look at the last verses, 6 through 9. As a church, we sing this song, praying for peace. Now, we have the peace that David longed for because we have it through Jesus Christ. We have the security that the Israelites long for because we are a part of an unshakable kingdom in Jesus Christ. And yet, as you all know, we experience division, disagreement in our homes, in our marriages, in our friendships, at work, even especially in the church. So even though we have this peace from Jesus, we are still awaiting a day, that day when Jesus comes back, when he makes all things new. So now, in the in-between, what do we do? We follow David's lead. We pray for peace. The fruit of the Spirit is peace. Are you a peacemaker? Are you eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace? And we're not just talking about superficial peace. Not peace because there's no conflict or peace because there's no deep, meaningful relationship. If we think about the gospel giving us peace, it actually enables us to have deep and meaningful relationships with one another. Relationships where we disagree with one another sometimes. Relationships where we sin against one another, yet we repent. We ask one another for forgiveness. Relationships where we forgive one another because God's forgiven us. This is only possible in the gospel where we sit together, we open our lives to one another. We're actively involved in one another's lives. Maybe you've tried this and didn't work out well for you. Maybe somebody said something that you didn't like or somebody didn't say something that you wanted them to say or somebody sinned against you or didn't show up for you when you really hoped they would. If we're honest, Every single one of us has experienced this in the church. Who hasn't been let down by Christians? Not a single person. Who hasn't been disappointed? Who hasn't been annoyed or sinned against? And if we flip it, who hasn't been that person to annoy others or let someone else down or been a disappointment themselves? Again, the gospel reminds us in Jesus Christ that we are so secure in God's love, we're so safe that we can keep taking risks and building peace in the church, especially when it's painful, especially when it's difficult. Perhaps there's somebody that you need to reach out to this afternoon and seek reconciliation and seek peace with. Let's pray for this peace. And as we pray, remember Remember that the Lord hears our prayers. He is glad for Covenant Hope Church to look more like the Prince of Peace. So will the Lord not answer the prayers of our church for peace? We see this glad gathering. We see peace and prayers for peace. There's, there's an old song as we conclude that I learned growing up. It's really simple. 
I've got peace like a river. I've got peace like a river. I've got peace like a river in my soul. I've got joy like a fountain. I've got joy like a fountain. I've got joy like a fountain in my soul. If you're visiting our church, I hope that you see rivers of peace, fountains of joy, a place of harmony and security. We're not perfect. See that too. But we're on a journey to heaven together. Our arms are linked. No man left behind. We're pursuing peace on earth in Jesus Christ. And friend, there's room for you. Let's go together. As we journey to heaven, gladly gather with the church. Pray for peace in the church. Pray with me now. Oh Lord, we long for heaven and we look toward heaven. We are glad to be here in this little taste of heaven on earth. And Lord, we pray for this joy, this gladness in the gospel, this peace that's only possible because of Jesus Christ. Lord, would you bring us home to heaven to be with you? In Jesus' name, amen.